Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Representative John Bell, uh, who is the House Majority Leader of North Carolina. The General Assembly is back in session, already done a great deal of work in the area of uh, Medicaid expansion, which we talked about earlier. But uh, we want to turn to a couple of other topics. Uh, I guess I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask how your dog Max is doing because uh, <laughs> Ma- I'm Max a dog is, lover. <laughs> Max is doing great. Uh, my my wife and daughter thought it would be really fun to buy him a little sweater. Uh, Max is about a 13-year-old Yorkie, and he did not find that funny at all. So he has pouted for the last couple of days uh, for having to wear that sweater. So when I got up this morning, uh, he had just about destroyed the sweater. So he, he won't be wearing that moving forward. He took care of that himself. So He took care of his own problem. And wouldn't it be, be- good if all of our citizens would take care of their own problems? <laughs> it's, it's amazing what we could do if right. people would take care of issues themselves. But, you know, they elect us to go to Raleigh to, to, to help advocate for their needs. And uh, we're honored to do it. Well, let's talk about sports betting. This has become a sort of a hot topic in North Carolina. North Carolina, a, a little slower to adopt than a lot of states. Where do we stand on the sports betting legislation and what do you think is likely to happen and when? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because the, the issues we've talked about uh, so far this session, uh, all of them seem to be controversial. So so and this, this was none other, but uh, uh, we, we ran a bill last year that was in two parts and um it, it got pretty controversial at the end of session on how to handle sports betting legalized sports betting here in the, the state uh, that bill passed the senate it got to the house and and actually fell by one vote and we were unable to um to to get that handled last year so so um myself uh senator jim perry uh representative jason sane uh representative ashton clemens representative um, zach hawkins and others took a bipartisan approach of what this could look like here in the state. Uh, for many of your listeners, if you watch the Super Bowl or you watch, um, uh, frankly, any professional games on the advertisements, you see you would actually think sports betting is already legal in the state. And, um, but, but, but it's not. And we have statistics that show the tremendous number of bets that are actually placed in our state that are blocked because it's not legal yet. So, so we worked with uh, our friends with the uh, Carolina Hurricanes, the Carolina Panthers, uh, NASCAR, uh, PGA, Major League Baseball, uh, soccer, uh, you name it, to, to really listen and learn and develop a program that we feel like could work here in the state. When you, um, when you, when you look at the, the revenue impacts, uh, we have another issue that we're working on called video lottery terminals, which is the, the sweepstakes and, and those type of gamings that you see in convenience stores pop up. And we've had issues there. But when you when you combine the gaming industry here in the state of North Carolina, it could actually represent an additional billion and a half dollars to our to our state annually. Uh, that's a significant amount of revenue coming into our state. Uh, it brings in um, um, major, major industries, major entities. Uh, you look at the expansion that could happen there at the PNC Arena if a sports book was allowed. Uh, it would bring in uh, just not only tremendous business, but tremendous entertainment opportunities and also a significant amount of revenue. So you'll see um, the sports betting um, proposal move through the House and the Senate. Uh, I can't tell you at this point in time if it's going to be in a standalone bill or in the final finance package, other discussions that are still yet to be had. 
but we are having those discussions. I've actually got a meeting next week to to look at the vote count to see where we're at, to, to see how many members we need to address concerns and what those concerns are. But it, it's a it's a proposal that I think will pass this year. There's a big effort, um, and, and it's a bipartisan effort and has included the governor involved as well. And uh, everybody seems to be pushing in the right direction to get it done this year. Well, it, 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 as you pointed out, it's not uh, it's not like there's not already betting going on. It's just a question of of uh, legalizing it and also being sure that the state gets its share of the revenue well, instead it, of it, money just, going somewhere else. You, you know, I don't bet on games. Um, I'm not a big better. Uh, I I try to collect every penny I have and store it for a rainy day. But that's just how I operate my household. But you know, when you when you can see a 13 or 14 year old operate an offshore account and have multiple uh, online betting accounts, whether it be FanDuel, DraftKings, et cetera, and it's unregulated and untapped, uh, you know, th- 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 those are issues that we're experiencing right now. And so if the state were to come in, uh, add a taxing component, uh, component to generate revenue, put um, parameters around it to, to, to in- in- enforce a control mechanism, to make sure that people are, are are legally betting, and then also provide programs to help people that have, frankly, gambling problems. Uh, those programs aren't available today. And so if we can do that three-tiered approach, I think we could have enforcement, revenue, and help for for, for all, 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 all sides of the issue on sports betting. Well, there are two letters that have come up in the last year we've been talking about for almost a year. One is the I word inflation. The other is the R word recession. From what I'm hearing from most of the economists now, the worry about recession, especially in North Carolina, uh, is probably a really back burner issue. If we have one, it's going to be apparently very mild and only probably affect certain parts of the economy. But the I word, inflation, is uh, one that uh, we are all concerned about because as you budget for expenses, you're going to have to take in consideration the fact that things are going to cost more. Uh, What kind of problems are being caused by that I word as far as your budgeting process? As we're moving through, uh, our budget chair is already looking at it, and we had to work work on this in in the last biennium budget. Uh, We put forth uh, capital projects. Uh, in the last biennium budget, and then we had to come back in the short session because of inflation and, uh, and frankly, the, the, the increased level of expenses. Uh, we had to put it, put additional funding into those projects. I'm dealing with an issue here in my area to where we're trying to upgrade a middle school. And, uh, and we were able to appropriate about $20 million to get that middle school, which is over a hundred years old. Uh, to, to, to put a plan in place to build it. And before we even get the contract in place, we're already $7 million short because of inflationary costs, uh, whether it be supplies, the increased cost of labor. And, and these are these are real. And it's not just in state government, but it's also in people's everyday life. When you look at the cost of milk, uh, you, you see the, the cost on, on general household goods, uh, the, the bird flu and other issues that have caused eggs to skyrocket. I mean, the, the most expensive part of your day now is, it's just having having eggs with your breakfast, and so um, the this is not just a a state government issue, but it's an everyday issue, and we're trying to address that. W- what we've done in the past is put reserves in place with our state budget, uh, whether it be to prepare for a recession, whether it be to prepare for that rainy day, maybe it's another hurricane, maybe it's a a natural disaster in our state. 
but we've prepared our rainy day reserve with significant resources to weather those storms. Um, we've put reserves in place, whether it be through to be able to to tap into general reserves for 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 things people don't even think about. Uh, what if we have a snowstorm and DOT then has to to, to provide X number uh, of amounts of pounds of more salt to put on the road? We put reserves in place for our DOT. We put reserves in place for our uh, health care, uh, what would be Medicaid overruns. Um, we, we've done this in a very strategically, in my opinion, fiscally smart uh, position to prepare if the state ever goes into a uh, a recession, if we have those issues dealing with place that we're seeing now. Uh, also, I believe it was just uh, announced this week, there's a revenue forecast where our state is looking at an additional surplus. I believe it's about a billion four, a billion five. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how, how that plays out as we go into the um the, the month of uh april when all the, the the tax payments are due to the state and federal government and i, I think you'll see that uh, that surplus increase and then we've got to be responsible with how how we spend those funds and you'll see those reserves stacked up to prepare for any pending issue whether it's a recession or a um, natural disaster you mentioned long session and short session for years the short session was short <laughs> It's not always short anymore. What is the basic difference between planning for the long session and, of course, what's left over goes to the short session? Yeah. But those those sessions are beginning to look more and more alike. I, I have I have been in Raleigh when when it was just session. It was not a long session or a short session. They all ran together. Um, it, but you know, it is our hope that uh, that will not happen again. Uh, right now, we're in the long session. And what that means is that's where we actually start generating legislation from 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 the start. It also is the beginning of how we put together the state budget, what that could look like over the biennium. And so once once that is done, and hopefully that will be accomplished before the the end of the state's fiscal year, which starts on July first, um, we will adjourn, and then we come back into short session. And the short session is only supposed to last about three months. And that is to pick up any pieces of legislation that, that that we weren't able to get to and make minor tweaks to the state's biennium budget to move forward for the year. And that's what it's supposed to do. But as you know, um, we have a growing state. Uh, our state has uh, has challenges just like every other state. And when we have the additional surpluses that come in, when we need to make the tweaks to the budget, when we need to do raises, uh, when we have inflationary uh, issues, uh, this all turns into a, a full-time, part-time job. You mentioned tax reform, which has been a, a topic of uh, the General Assembly now for, the, for about the last 10 years, and each year there seems to be more and more reform, and taxes in North Carolina on the state level are going down. What, what do you see as far as the future for tax reform here in North Carolina? We've put provisions in place over the last 10 years, and I, I will tell you, uh, North Carolina has done it right. When I look at other states, uh, they went in and didn't control spending slash taxes and then wound up with budget shortfalls and, and frankly, fiscal disasters. Um, North Carolina put trigger mechanisms in place. And so as we were fundamentally changing our, our tax code, uh, if we had surpluses, that would trigger the state income tax to, to lower. And you've seen that significantly lower over the last couple of years. Our goal is to get to a zero tax income state, which means um, the taxes will be on, on, on reasonable amounts of goods and services. We will not tax income. 
You've seen the corporate tax size as on the pathway to drop to zero. And what has happened because of those decisions, you've seen business and industry flourish here. You've seen companies move here. You've seen corporations move here. Uh, you've seen the headquarters of those corporations move here. And you've seen major job, job announcements. Also, for the individual, it allows them to keep more money in their pocket. And frankly, now more than ever, uh, those, those, those additional tax dollars that are not sent to the government but are kept in the household uh, have really made a difference for North Carolinians as they're facing some of the inflationary issues that we're seeing. But you'll see a continued effort to lower taxes in a responsible manner. You'll see a continued effort to, to you know, we're going to have to increase spending because we are a growing state, but you'll see a very strategically and conservative approach to spending. And you'll see our state to continue and invest in, in critical infrastructure needs and critical um, programs and uh, in capital. So uh, we're in a really good place. I believe our budget is going to be somewhere around probably a, a 30, $32 billion budget this, this cycle. And your state budget funds everything from um, uh, teacher salaries, state employee salaries, uh, highway patrol. You look at vehicles, you look at uh, gas, you look at critical infrastructure needs, uh, such as our Department of Transportation, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services, Department of Education. Uh, these are massive entities that uh, all now fall under purview of the state government. And they're all growing with a growing state. So we'll fund them accordingly. And everyone has legitimate needs and, and a wish list. And you, someone has to sit around and say, okay, this, uh, th we're going to prioritize it. And this is the way we're going to go. A absolutely. And, uh, and in addition to, to those, those core functions of government, you also have one of the near and dear to all of us is our community college system and our university system and our state fund those. And, um, you know, we've got an outstanding university system, which is, which has graduated many successful alumni and then our community college system is is doing gangbusters by by making sure they're educating and retooling a, a very much needed workforce. Well, North Carolina has always placed great emphasis on education, and that's proven to be the driver that has carried us to the point where we are. Absolutely. Uh, it's uh, so important, and the General Assembly has always recognized that fact. Our guest is Representative John Bell. He's the House Majority Leader of the North Carolina House of Representatives. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the budget process and the priorities for the remainder of the legislative session. And we'll do that right after we take time out for this message. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, He's been a teacher for over 40 years. One day he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. And my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash our stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, 
flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Representative John Bell, House Majority Leader of the North Carolina House of Representatives. And looking over the things we've talked about, one of the things we haven't talked about, and that's my fault, we haven't talked about transportation. We have talked about growth in North Carolina, and of course, this leads to always uh, being concerned about roads and, uh, uh, and getting around one way or the other. Uh, transportation is a problem. We have a change in the way that people are driving cars. We apparently are going to have more EVs, uh, and we have always taxed our gasoline. Uh, so transportation not only is going to have some needs, but it's also going to have to be funded in a different way. How do you see this working out? Well, it, it's a challenge when you and, and you you mentioned it perfectly. Um, you know, our transportation system has been funded through the gas tax and and what we would say DMV fees for many years, and 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 we knew twenty years ago that that was not sustainable. And uh, North Carolina currently maintains more roads than any other state in the country, with the exception of Texas. So when you look at that, North Carolina maintains more roads than California and Florida and other states that are geographically larger than ours, um, you, you see the um, the impact that uh, transportation has. And, uh, you know, we continuously um, look at con congestion needs in our urban areas and then connectivity from our rural areas. And so over the last year, actually the last two years, um, Senator Vicki Sawyer and Representative Brendan Jones on the House side and uh, Senator Michael Azara and um, Representative Jeff McNeely and and, and and others have come together to to form a coalition to look at ways that we can frankly transition our transportation funding formula so it doesn't rely on the gas tax because we know it's not sustainable. So we're looking at ways that um, EVs could could could, could be uh, a part of that decision. You look at the the new. Um, ride share companies that have popped up with Lyft and Uber and, and how we can maintain the, the good road state, but funding accordingly. And so we've seen a shift with that, with uh, some of the sales tax revenue going into our transportation coffers. Uh, we've put general fund reserves in place to prepare for weather events that we're not tapping into general fund dollars. And, uh, and, and then we've, um, are, are looking at other ways to, to transition those costs from a, from a gas tax to a, to a to a user fee, and some of these are uncomfortable decisions and ways to look at it, but they're um, decisions we're having to make and having to have. We've looked; at other states are doing, um, frankly, innovative ways to fund their transportation, so they're diving into those as well. And so you're going to see a continuation of some of those changes in this biennial budget that you saw last year, and it will be a process moving for the next couple of years. Of course, one of the biggest things that the General Assembly does is the budget. And uh, so what is the budget process from this point on? Uh, are you seeing a budget surplus? We are. Uh, we're seeing a budget surplus, uh, about a billion and a half dollar surplus. I think that will grow as we move through the budget process. Uh, currently, one of the um, the starting points with our budget is to, is to get what we call a spin number. And so we work in conjunction with the Senate to to come up with that number. So so we don't come in with a 
$30 billion uh, budget, and then the, the Senate comes in with a $28 billion or vice versa. We, we don't have the same spend number on how we direct those those funds. And so we're working through that right now. Um, also, during this time, our, our our area chairs is what we call them, um, whether it's local, um, you know, not local government, but the government side, which funds, you know, the General Assembly, it funds the uh, the governor, lieutenant governor, and the different um, departments in state government. And then we have transportation, education, health and human services, uh, IT and technology. All those different areas of the budget are are currently meeting uh, with their Senate counterparts and and trying to listen and learn from the department heads and what the need is and, and how we lay that out. Uh, then you'll see uh, those budgets being put together. And so the, the area committees will, will vote on those and they'll send it up to what we call the big chairs who will put the overall budget together. Then it will work its way through the house. And uh, I, I jokingly say that we'll take a perfect budget voted on by the house and send it to the Senate and they'll mess it up. <laughs> and so, so the Senate. And, and, and guess what? They think you're going to mess up their budget. <laughs> they think we mess it up and, and uh, they think we do the same. So every biennium, we alternate with who starts with the budget. Um, this biennium, the House starts with the budget. So we'll pass a House version of the budget. Um, we'll, we'll, and the Senate will pass the Senate version of the budget. And then at the end of the day, we'll come together and put a compromise budget that we'll send to the governor that will have priorities of the House, have priorities of the Senate and priorities of the governor in that budget. And then uh, it's my hope that it will be passed in a bipartisan fashion uh, or veto-proof fashion, and, and the governor will agree to it, and we'll move on to fund the state for the next two years. One of the big issues for the last, I don't know how long, has been the matter of congressional districts and redistricting. That will, of course, also be an issue. Uh, what do you see happening there? I, you know, it's, it's in my opinion, I've heard the different uh, the different folks talk about it, but I think there's some uncertainty right now, and and that's nothing. We're not focused on that at the General Assembly at this moment. Um, there, there's two court cases pending uh, in the United States Supreme Court, and we will see the the verdicts and the opinions of those. We should have those back in maybe June or July. Uh, we do know we're going to have to to work on congressional redistricting. That was mentioned. Um, in, in the last lawsuit we dealt with, uh, the, the state Supreme Court uh, last year overturned the state Senate districts. So we do know there'll be some additional conversations as we move in. But, but right now, all eyes are on the United States Supreme Court and how these cases are going to play out. And then depending on the, the, those decisions, uh, we will, we will um, come together and figure out a pathway forward on redistricting here in our state. Here's a word we've been hearing for a long time. Leandro, where does that stand? Uh, you know, uh, that's still tied up in the courts. I know that the current state Supreme Court uh, hopefully is, review is reviewing some of the decisions. Uh, you know, we've had political theater and drama over that one where a judge basically told the, the, the General Assembly, hey, you need to do you need to fund this and we're going to take it from you, which is completely unconstitutional. Um, but but, you know, our state has made leaps and bounds in education funding. Uh, currently, I believe it's somewhere close to 65% of our state budget is focused on education funding. Uh, you'll see that increase this biennium, and we're going to do everything that we can to continue to fund our, our K-12, our underserved areas, and uh, fund our teachers and our community colleges and universities accordingly. Um, that's an effort that we made, and, and, and it's kind of a, a – it, it's not known. Uh, it should be. 
But when you look at public education here in the state of North Carolina on the K-12 side, our state is one of the top funders of education uh, in, in the country. Where other states uh, jump ahead of us is that local governments and, and cities and counties and municipalities choose to fund it and, and other states fund education as well. Uh, I would dare to say that majority of uh, all of our counties fund the, the physical school, which is what they're constitutionally obligated to do. Um, but very few cities and municipalities actually fund inside the classroom. They, they, they do not fund teacher salaries. And that's where the state comes in and basically absorbs 100% of that cost. Well, John, you are the House Majority Leader. And uh, so that puts you in a position of uh, leading the, the House and its members. And uh, I think you said you have 71 Republican members. Uh, so what are your priorities? What do you want to see happen with the remainder of the year? Well, I have priorities here locally that um, that my constituents uh, have have requested, and I try to address those. But when I when I also the Raleigh, I, I'm like like you mentioned, I'm I'm the leader of, of the Republican caucus there in the chamber, and I work hand in hand with Speaker Tim Moore, and we've had a great relationship and worked very well together um, over over the last. I feel like we've been there forever. Uh, we, I think I've been majority leader since 2016, and so we worked together since he's been speaker. Um, but I, I listen and learn and understand what the caucus wants to do, what the individual members need to be successful. And it's my job to put a plan in place and a roadmap to make sure that they can go home after session and be successful for their constituents. And so uh, as we move through session, you're going to see uh, hopefully a, a very popular bipartisan budget. Uh, there are local issues, uh, we call them local bills, that we'll have to address that are issues relative to each individual district. And then you'll see some, some overall legislation that deals with uh, education. You'll see, uh, you, we saw uh, uh, the access to care issues with Medicaid play out. You'll see other healthcare options play out. And, uh, and then hopefully at the end of the day, we will come together and, and there'll be thousands of bills filed and there'll be very few passing the law. That's just the way our system works, but uh, we'll have a good session. Well, it's it, it sounds more and more as I talk to you, Representative Bell, that one of the most important things you do is listen. And and, and I do, and that's um I, I try to not only listen to to the to the people that I represent, but also to the people that elected me to to put to to be to be the leader in the house. And uh, I believe in servant leadership. Uh, I believe that um, that is what we need to do more of, uh, that we are not political leaders. We're public servants. We serve at the pleasure of the general public, and we need to listen to their concerns and take their views to Raleigh because our goal is to represent them, not our, not our own goals. So it's important for people to communicate with you when they have needs or concerns. Absolutely, and uh, our office is, is always open. I've got a great staff. Uh, Miss Susan Horn has been my legislative assistant since the beginning. Uh, I walked in the door as a young, eager representative. I believe I was 32 years old, and for some reason, she she wanted to help uh, help me navigate the political process. And so I've been blessed to have her, uh, Caitlin Allman and Jimmy Milstead, um, or or two of our staff members that, that help uh, address the constituent service issues that we face. And uh, and this year we have a, a, a young, sharp individual. 
named Guillermo Estrada, who's serving as our intern. And I'm proud to say that he was actually uh, just selected as a as a Moorhead Kane scholarship recipient. And so we're very proud of him and the work they do day in and day out. But I'm very blessed to have great staff members that not only serve and work with the, the other um, representatives there in the House and senators in the Senate, but also do a really good job of um, representing our constituents here in, in Wayne County. Well, it's interesting when you go down to the General Assembly to see how busy it is with all the committee meetings and so forth. It's it's uh, always uh, fascinating to me to watch how the process works out. Our guest has been Representative John Bell. He's the House Majority Leader and uh, represents District 10. If you uh, are listening to a station that carries the half-hour version of this program, the two segments that you missed are available on carolinanewsmakers.com, or if you'd like to repeat the broadcast either for yourself or share it with a friend, you can also go to carolinanewsmakers.com and have the entire broadcast repeated. And uh, our program, of course, has been produced, as always, by Jason Kong. He promises me faithfully that I'll have another interesting guest next week. So until next week, same time, same station, hope that you and yours have a very good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. One forty-five over ninety-two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself. I didn't. Now I do. Uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Watch out! They got me! The galaxy is safe once again. In the pretend universe, kids play with pretend guns. In the real world, it's up to us to make sure they don't get their hands on a real gun. If you have a gun in the house, keep it locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is the House Majority Leader of the North Carolina House of Representatives. That would be Representative John Bell, who uh, uh, is in his fifth term serving the citizens of House District Number 10, which includes a very interesting group of counties, Green, Johnson, and Wayne counties, uh, just to the east of Raleigh. That would be Goldsboro and uh, 
uh, and uh, Smithville and Clayton in that area. But, uh, Representative Bell, uh, we are thankful that uh, you can take time to tell us what's going on in the General Assembly. You're back to work and already have passed some legislation. So let's talk about what you've already done. Absolutely. Thank you, Mr. Curtis, for having me on. It's always a pleasure to, to, to join you in your show. And we've had a wonderful conversation in the past and look forward to informing the general public of uh, what's going on in General Assembly. We are back to work. I went back to work at the end of, I believe it started January 25th. Uh, we come in uh, constitutionally statute obligated to come in on, on the second Wednesday in January to be sworn in. And we did that this year, and it was great. Uh, this is actually the first year uh, in, a, in three years that we've had friends and family in the gallery, and everything was packed. Um, you know, we haven't been doing that because of the pandemic. So it was great to see all the uh, family and friends and uh, constituents from all over the state were joining us, and uh, it was a day full of festivities. And then we came, and then we adjourned and uh, put committees in place, and office assignments and all the administrative issues we had to deal with. And then on January the 25th, we were back to work and hopefully we'll be done by the uh, July 4th holiday. Well, there are a number of things that we want to talk about. One, I guess, would be Medicaid expansion because that's been a topic for the last several years. And uh, it's one that uh, uh, the opinions and thoughts have changed on over the last uh, uh, eight to 10 years. It has. Uh, you know, I would tell you that I was a pretty hard no um, back in uh, 13, 14 when, when the first conversation started. And, and as this evolved, uh, we felt like that in order for us to, to, to even have a conversation on Medicaid expansion, we really need to go in and do Medicaid, what we call Medicaid transformation. We needed to to, to get rid of the really crack down on the fraud, waste, and abuse within our Medicaid system, look at ways to expedite care, look at ways to get people out of the emergency room um, and, and show them that there's uh, less expensive places to be uh, for, for colds and, and minor issues in our, our local emergency rooms and our hospitals. And so um, we, we launched Medicaid transformation a few years back. That has evolved and has has done very well with the state. And so last year, the conversation started on what Medicaid expansion could look like in North Carolina. And the Senate put forth a proposal that uh, we called Medicaid Plus. It had the Medicaid expansion plus other issues, uh, certificate of need and uh, an issue called the SAVE Act that dealt with scope of practice issues by nurse practitioners. And we just felt like that was a, a too far reach. Uh, the House put forth their version of what Medicaid expansion could look, that, look like. And um, we just couldn't come to agreement. And so we went back to work when we came back in this session and we uh, passed a, a what we call a clean Medicaid expansion bill, uh, took a vote on Wednesday that passed overwhelmingly bipartisan support. And then this, this, the third vote and final vote uh, was sent to the Senate on Thursday. So uh, it was a, a busy week, a busy time and, and happy to talk further about that. Well, that's a that's a major accomplishment because that's something that has been on the docket now for several years. And as you said, it, it's been very interesting to watch it because the objections that uh, uh, were causing the members of the General Assembly to, to decide against it have sort of one by one sort of disappeared or changed. And uh, it seems like now everyone feels pretty comfortable with it. It, it has. And I'll just tell you um, my concerns with it. And I've had some really good conversations with our our health chairs on the house side and also 
have developed a really good relationship with uh, Cody Kinsley, who is the Secretary of Health and Human Services. And uh, we've had numerous meetings, numerous conversations. And as this evolved, it started off, you know, the talking points a few years ago was it was about 600,000 people in our state that would be allowed on those roles if Medicaid was expanded. I, I wanted to actually solve issues. And so when you look at the area I serve, rural North Carolina, we have a shortage of providers. Um, we have a shortage of nurses. Uh, we have, uh, frankly, access to care issues. And so how can we take this opportunity on the Medicaid side to address those issues? And so uh, we had members of our caucus that were worried about fraud, waste, and abuse. They were worried about what happens if the federal government uh, decided not to pay the 90% and the state's only 10%. Um, what would happen if our counties got overwhelmed with additional Medicaid patients? And so these were conversations and, and, and issues we had to work through. And, and now, as we came into this year, with the, um, with, with the uh, Inflation Induction Act and the, the ARP funds that came down, uh, the Medicaid rules were expanded. So we were really looking, you know, I, I would say somewhere around 150, maybe 200 tops. By more, I think it's more around 150,000 people would be added to the Medicaid rolls. And there's a misconception out there that these are, are people that just flat out don't work and are drains on, on, on the system. And that's actually not true. These are hardworking North Carolinians that are 10 to 15 hour, uh, an hour um, week employees that are working day in and day out that frankly can't pay the $2,400 to $3,000 for a family for healthcare coverage. And what what the bill that we put forward would do would allow those hardworking families to be able to have some type of healthcare coverage that, that would allow them to be able to, to go to a, a provider, that allowed them to be able to go seen by a local physician, a family, uh, family physician, instead of not ending up in our emergency rooms, which is uh, in my area, I believe UNC Wayne is one of the busiest emergency rooms in the UNC system. Another portion of the bill that we passed, and it was to alleviate some concerns from my colleagues and others, is, is you know, how do we address the provider shortage? So we ran an amendment yesterday that would have taken, I guess it was, I think it was somewhere around $40 million to set aside for tuition reimbursement for folks that wanted to go into to nursing school, who wanted to go to, to be a physician, and would actually do tuition reimbursement for um, for for their for college if they would come back to North Carolina and serve in an underserved area for 10 years. That was extremely popular and got unanimous support in the chamber. And and when we broke that down, uh, it, it, it would add around 200, a little more than 200 new providers here in the state. That actually solves a problem. The other issue we put forward would be um, in an amendment would be if we uh, if counties were overwhelmed and didn't have the staff to uh, to handle the administrative burden that some of the Medicaid expansion will cost. So we so we set funding aside to allow counties to tap in through a grant program to 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 address that. The other portion of this is if you have someone that's already on Medicaid, let's say they they get arrested and are in our jails, uh, or if they have a medical emergency in our jails, our our county taxpayers are responsible for paying those um, medical bills. Another portion of this would actually go to our counties and allow our counties to recoup that cost to where right now they're not recouping. So these are all all issues that address issues that we're seeing, frankly, in everyday life in our counties. And that's why you saw the tremendous vote count and got more people comfortable with how we're moving forward on this expansion. Well, it seems like you solved a lot of problems with uh, with uh, not only the, the expansion, but also the amendments to it and 
And uh, it well, we like still it. have a ways to go. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just passed the house, and 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 the Senate's an interesting monster, and we'll work with our healthcare uh, chairs on the Senate side, and then and hopefully uh, you know get it to the governor's desk sometime this session. But the, the fact the House took a step forward, and to, in my opinion, to put a a, a very reasonable um, expansion bill forward uh, is is it was a lot of hard work by a lot of people. I want to thank. Uh, Representative Donnie Lambeth and the health chairs for their hard work to getting this bill accomplished this week. Well, the other thing you pointed out was it was passed with bipartisan support, which is always good. Yeah, I believe out of the 120 members uh, on the initial vote, uh, 96 voted for it. So that's a pretty strong vote count and a pretty good indication that the overwhelming majority of people that represent the state um, were, were supportive. Well, you know, for the last 10 years, we've seen uh, it seems a little bit more like more and more partisanship. Do you see that uh, beginning to dwindle a little bit and, and uh, seem uh, like a little bit more of the cooperation between the members of the two parties? Well, it's, it's interesting you say that. The, the minority leader, uh, Representative Robert Reeves, a Democrat leader, and, and I are, are actually pretty good friends. And we have good conversations, even though we may not agree on issues. We're able to have those conversations and, and just agree to disagree and move on. But as we came into session this year, it just felt like the temperature of the house has has, has gone down a little bit. You, you don't have that um, partisan uh, attacks going on. So far, our debates on controversial issues have been very cordial, have been fact-based, not, not personality-driven, not personal attacks. And uh, it's my hope that we'll be able to continue that as we move through session. Well, as you said, there's, you know, this is the form of government we've got. Uh, discussion of issues is always good. And, uh, uh, but when it gets personal is when the problems begin to arise. And uh, as you said, it uh, seems like for the last 10 years, especially on the, on the national level, we've seen a rise of the uh, personalities getting involved and, and making and, and, and conflicting with the discussion of the real issues. And it's issues that are important. Issues are important, and I, I will tell you, when you look around the faces of the General Assembly, um, we have a lot of new faces, a lot of new ideas, a lot of new experiences. And so, so some of those old grudges from session to session, those folks have retired and, and decided to do other things, and you've got new and fresh ideas come in, people really wanting to make a difference. And, and I firmly believe that of the 120 members of the House, even though we, we have different ways to get there, we truly want what's best for the state. That's why we ran for office. We want to be um, in, in a position to advocate for our districts, advocate for our counties, but we truly want what's best for the state. And it's my hope that as we move through session, um, we'll have issues that divide chambers. We'll have issues that divide on party lines. And we'll have issues that will divide each other's caucuses. And so, but it's my hope that we'll be able to navigate through that and actually be able to agree to disagree and, uh, and work in good faith moving forward. So, so I'm excited about the session and the way it's, it's, it's gone so far. Uh, speaking of new members, how many uh, first-term members do you have? I may be asking you a question that uh, you might not have at the top of your head, but well, how many? I, I know that at the, uh, on 71 Republicans, I think we have around 14 or 15 brand-new members, and then we have another um, probably three to four that were um, that were appointed during during towards the end of last session, and, uh, and then we have um, one or yeah, I believe one that has come that you know lost election was out and then came back. And I, on the Democrat side, I'd have to go back and look, but I would tell you, I was actually looking at the board when uh, we were doing the vote when we were doing the votes for the 
Medicaid expansion bill this week. And I looked up and I was like, I don't know these names. And so, so I was trying to look at the seating chart and trying to put um, faces with names, but there's a lot of new faces in the building. And as you said, this is, uh, that's not necessarily bad. It brings in new ideas, fresh ideas and fresh personalities. It does. And, uh, you know, that's why our, our state's a growing state. This is, uh, you know, we're, we're um, constantly a, a destination where people want to be. And so, so new ideas are welcome. Our guest is Representative John Bell. He's the House Majority Leader of the North Carolina House of Representatives. He's in his fifth term, and uh, we have lots of issues we want to talk about. We've just finished talking about the Medicaid expansion situation, and we will turn to items like sports betting and the inflation and, re and recession concerns and so forth. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school and I didn't do it. 10 years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing the educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. But I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo GOAT G-O-A-T Acronym Stands for Greatest of All Time As in Spaghetti Sandwiches for Dinner They're my fave Dad You're the GOAT You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same Visit AdoptUSKids.org Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Adopt US Kids and the Ad Council we continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back with uh, Representative John Bell, the House Majority Leader of the North Carolina House of Representatives. Representative uh, Bell, you, you come from a kind of a very interesting district. And I was just looking at those three counties. Johnson County, which is experiencing great growth percentage-wise, is growing fast. Back at one time, I think it was the fastest growing county in the state percentage-wise. Wayne County, which is an interesting county because it's growing, but it's also a great military town. And then Greene County, which is uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum. So you see a little bit of all three of the elements of North Carolina politics. I, I do. And actually, um, Mr. Curtis, the, the district has, has actually changed um, going into January. So, I, so I, I'm actually just now representing Wayne County. But I, you know, I, I've been blessed over my tenure uh, to, I represented on uh, Johnston, Wayne, Green, Lenore, and Craven. So I've had a really big segment of of uh, Eastern North Carolina. Uh, Johnston County is the fastest growing state, uh, fastest growing county in the state. I believe Representative Donna White, who's up in that northern part of Johnston County, is 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 kind of incredible, averaging somewhere around 84 new residents a day. And so it's a uh, tremendous growth. Uh, you look at um, Greene County has had its struggles, but 
it is the leader in uh, in, the, in the sweet potato industry. Even though it doesn't have a tremendous population, is is uh, great things are happening in Greene County. Uh, a couple of new businesses, even some in the last few weeks, have have showed up in in uh, Greene County and are hiring people and, and doing good things. And, and then Wayne County, uh, you, you know, is, is is frankly a tale of two counties. You've got uh, growth in the western and the northern part of the county and. And, uh, and then you look in the southern part of the county where, where I grew up and where I'm from, Mount Olive, is, has struggled to achieve growth. But we've got an outstanding university, University of Mount Olive, who has a premier uh, ag program. Dr. Sandy Maddox has done an outstanding job leading that. And, uh, and that is a growing program. And, of course, we're the home of um, the famous Mount Olive Pickles. Uh, everybody loves Mount Olive Pickles. And if you, if you don't like them, go to a grocery store and buy a jar anyway. That's kind of the way I grew up, wherever I I live. We always had a jar of mallet pickles in the refrigerator, and and then of course we're the home of um the greatest fighter wing on planet Earth, uh, the fourth fighter wing, which is based there at Seymour Johnson. So we're really proud of of our heritage. We're really proud of the business industry that have uh, that have grown here in 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 our district, and uh, those are the people we advocate for every day while we're in Raleigh. Well, Goldsboro, of course, as you said, has uh, the uh, great presence in the military, but. We have uh, several other counties that are very dependent on the military, Cumberland County with with uh, the major base there, which is undergoing a name change. And also, of course, uh, uh, the folks in Onslow County. So the military is very important to North Carolina. So how does the uh, General Assembly and uh, work with this very important part of our economy? Well, I haven't seen the latest statistic, but uh, I believe it was somewhere around – 80 of our 100 counties had some type of military activity or footprint in it. So when you look at all of our, our 100 counties to have over 80, to have some type of operation with our military going in, it shows the impact that our, our military has. Uh, if you look at our state's economy, agriculture is by far and away the largest economic impact we have. And the number two would be our military. When you talk about uh, Fort Bragg, when you talk about Camp Lejeune, when you talk about Cherry Point, talk about Seymour Johnson, uh, you, those are the entities that people see day in and day out. But they're some of the largest military installations uh, in, in the country. When you go out into northeastern North Carolina, uh, you have what's called the Dare County Bombing Range, which is a training facility for most aviation aircraft all across the, the military footprint. So, so you can see uh, naval aircraft, Air Force aircraft. Army, Army aircraft on uh, training in that area and training jointly. And so when we look at policies uh, here in the state, we want to make sure that we're the most military friendly state in the country. And we have seen a lot of those policies uh, come come to law and come to fruition over the last couple of years. Uh, a, a big move for us happened, I believe, two years ago is when we uh, exempted the, the military retirement to encourage retired personnel uh, to stay in our state after their years of service. And their retirement, their state retirement, uh, their military retirement will be exempt on the state side. And so that was a big boom. Also, it's, it's, it goes into part of our uh, tax package that we've been lowering taxes over the last uh, couple of years. We've also passed uh, numerous, law, uh, numerous laws to protect our military installations and surrounding communities. I look at one of the bills that helped make me, um, well, actually, actually put me into the forefront of running legislation in 2013. I ran a bill. That was uh, established a military, uh, excuse me, a wind permitting process for the state of North Carolina. People say, well, why is that important? Well, when you have uh, 
F-15s and F-35s that are training and they have to drop down to 500 feet low level flying route for the training. And we have companies that want to stick 500 foot wind turbines up in that area. Uh, those don't work very well together. And we've seen other states like Oklahoma have actually lost military operations uh, to, to those type of industries that have moved in. And what we wanted to make sure here in North Carolina is, is that if a wind industry wanted to come in, um, we, we, we welcome the business and industry, but we want to make sure that our low level flying routes, our military training routes and radar routes are all protected. And so that, that bill did that one. And you've also seen um, bills come in to protect our military buffer zones. Um, we, we reformed the North Carolina Military Affairs Committee. So now we have representation, not just from the commanders across the state, but also uh, community activists that are uh, pro-military that work hand in hand with state government to make sure that laws and rules and regulations are implemented, not only are military friendly, but also protect the investment that has been made. And, uh, and then you, you swing over to, uh, to the Centennial Campus at NC State and the work they're doing on research and development is pretty incredible when it comes to the projects they're working on that um, better equip our military and also keep them safe. So we should be proud of our military heritage here in North Carolina. And uh, I'm proud to, to travel around the country and say that we're the most military-friendly state in the country. Well, you alluded to this already, but let's talk a little bit about the uh, accommodating the, the two problems we have in North Carolina, because we've had about 25, maybe 28 counties that are growing just really rapidly. And then we've got the other 72 counties. So you've got a divide in economic development, which is very challenging to you folks in the General Assembly, because, you know, you, you just can't make people go places. You have to make it uh, to their advantage to relocate, but that's a difficult task, far more difficult than perhaps it might seem. It, it, it is, and uh, when you look at, at North Carolina, um, we, we've got areas, like you mentioned, Mr. Curtis, you've got uh, Wake County, which is booming, you know, you got the Research Triangle Park area that's, that's, that's really grown by leaps and bounds, Mecklenburg County, uh, other areas. And so at the General Assembly, we, we structured our um, uh, tax incentive package to, to favor rural areas. So that way business industry would be encouraged to move into those areas. But we took it a step further. And uh, during the uh, pandemic, you had the uh, American Rescue Plan. Uh, you had federal funds that came into our state. And we looked at that and said, look, instead of spending it on frivolous items, let's really make a massive investment and water and sewer infrastructure and also broadband connectivity. Uh, a lot of our small towns have, um, frankly, the collapsing and failing systems. And, you know, it's, it's nothing sexy. It doesn't make the front page of the news media or, or, or the radio, the radio conversations. But when, when, when you go into an area, you expect the water to, the, the, the flow when the spigots are turned on and the toilet to flush when you use the bathrooms. And so does business and industry. And so we put a tremendous amount of funding into working on our water and sewer infrastructure, especially in these rural areas. Uh, and so that's been a big boost for economic development opportunities for those areas to get their water and sewer systems up to date. Some of these systems actually weren't even updated. They've just been patchwork uh, since they were installation in the 1940s and 50s. So, so we were excited about that opportunity and we continue to invest in, in that today. Uh, we've also, with the transition to work at home, with uh, a lot of people on computers, just like we're having a conversation now. I'm I'm here in Wayne County, and then you're there in Wake County, and uh, you know, broadband connectivity is key to economic development. Period. And so, well, to, 
Oh, I was going to say North Carolina has always been a little ahead of the game with the broadband, and uh, we've got a very taxing situation because the state's geographic situation doesn't really favor doing that, but <laughs> no, it, it is also so important. It's, it's you know, um, in January, I, I spent a lot of time in Hyde County. I'm, I'm an avid duck hunter, and so I like to go there and and enjoy duck season and uh you know there's there's rural parts of that county that struggle for internet uh, capabilities and uh, then uh, you go out in the mountains to my friend carl gillespie's area where he's actually closer to five other capitals than the one he serves in in raleigh um they they, they have the same struggles but I, our our challenge has been how can we get broadband connectivity not just to all counties but all corners of the state and and we've put a little over a billion dollar investment in the last budget into doing that and we're well on our way to to hopefully one day we can say that we have broadband connectivity um from from the mountains to the coast and everywhere in between but but those are are, are really big emphasis that we have put in the last couple of years to help our rural areas succeed we've seen success in those areas because of those efforts uh, also working with our friends at the department of transportation to invest in in, in our highway infrastructure to make sure that uh, truck traffic, commuter traffic, commercial traffic can get in and out of these facilities and then not have to 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 go down a lot of winding roads that that could be challenging for uh, our our eighteen wheelers and uh, commercial vehicles. But you know it it, it, it is an issue. Uh, starting January the first, twenty twenty three, actually became the first time in our state's history that the majority of representation in our general assembly comes from urban North Carolina, not rural North Carolina. And so when you look at the issues that rural North Carolina face, uh, not only do we have water and sewer infrastructure, we have connectivity, we have broadband connectivity issues, but now we're at a deficit of legislators that represent those areas. Most of those districts are now larger. Uh, they're, they, I think um, uh, we've, we've got some members that represent uh, in the northeastern part of the state, represent somewhere around eight to 11 counties. And so and that's a large area to cover, more like a congressional district than it is a House or a Senate district. So, so we have our challenges, but um, but you know we'll, we'll continue to, to move along because we know that uh, North rural North Carolina uh, needs to be as prosperous as urban North Carolina. Well, it, uh, the interesting thing about broadband it touches so many different areas. It, it allows extended medical help, uh, education, as well as business. But it's also important to agriculture. It is it is amazing the technology advancements in agriculture today. Uh, you know, I remember growing up and and I, I worked on the farm and we got on, on the tractor and, and you drove and you you tried to get the roads as straight as you possibly could and uh, I was never really good at that. They're always crooked, but, but but I tried my best. But now you get into a tractor and it's got a GPS system and you punch in the buttons and it basically drives it yourself. Uh, then also you, know, you look at all the advancements that come in to, to crop science where I uh, used to, uh, you know, you, you had a farm that would feed a, a, a small group of people. And now you've got uh, uh, large farms that are feeding the world. So uh, that's part of the, the research and, and ingenuity that's going on at the University of Mount Olive and at NC State and North Carolina A&T. And, uh, and so the advancements in the technology advancements there have actually been pretty incredible over the last five to six years. Well, when people think of broadband, I think they, they they first thought is personal computers, and that, of course, is a big thing of communicating between individuals, but it does help in the medical field, education, and business, and agriculture as well. 
Our guest is Representative John Bell. He's the House Majority Leader of the state of North Carolina. And uh, we will have another segment. We want to talk a little bit about sports betting, the inflation, and uh, the R word, recession. And we'll do that when we come back with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. 